Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today we are going to be reviewing the newest release, Where the Crawdads Sing. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for this movie? Sure. A woman who raised herself in the marshes of the Deep South becomes a suspect in the murder of a man she was once involved with. All right. And in sweet tradition, we start off with a one-sentence summary for the movie that we were reviewing. And what was your one-sentence summary for Where the Crawdads Sing? Uh, My one-sentence summary is a Hallmark movie wrapped in an uninteresting mystery. Oh, <laughs> nice. Well, I, uh, I'm getting a little taste of how you feel about this movie <laughs> from that summary. Uh, my summary is the Crawdads are all very upset that this book to film that adaptation did not sing. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. They're, with they're... the Crawdads. <laughs> okay. So you, you wanted more Crawdad singing. So you wanted this to maybe... Maybe this should have been like a musical. Maybe that would have helped. Honestly, I mean, anything really would have helped. <laughs> it wouldn't have hurt, probably. I mean, they they commissioned Taylor Swift to write a whole song. She should just write more songs, make this a whole album. Let's just not make this a movie. Let's just oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, go for it. Why not? Oh, all right. Well, this is going to be a spicy episode. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready. Uh, in, so let's start off with our initial thoughts of where the crawdads sing. And considering the fact that this is based on a novel and the novel's been out for quite a while, let's just have full reign on um, on this movie. We won't, we won't include a spoiler alert. So Sarah, thoughts on where the crawdads sing? I think – you're probably going to feel a lot more spicy about this movie than I am. I I honestly just kind of left feeling neutral. Like I I just kind of, like it's fine. It's not a good movie. Uh I I feel like it was competently made. You know, the acting wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. I feel like the writing wasn't anything spectacular. Uh I really think this should have just gone straight to streaming. I feel it would fit more in that category. Um, but I, I think because this is more a romance than anything else, I ju- it's not my genre. It's not something that I seek out. So it's just one of those that I watched and I went, huh, I don't understand why people like this. And I don't understand why people search this out so it almost felt like I was I was performing like like an anthropological experiment you know with this theater full of like middle-aged white women and I'm just sitting there thinking why do you enjoy this I do not understand um so I I I have I, I think that this this movie could have been really interesting and then there there's parts especially like regarding the the mystery and the case and all of that that I think could have been explored I think even parts of Kaya's past uh could have been explored in more in a more interesting way but the movie is not interested in being interesting it just 
wants to do all of the romantic things that you're supposed to do in a romance movie. And it does that. And so I, I, it's, it's not something that I enjoy. So I knew from like two minutes in that I was not going to enjoy this movie because it's pretty much all flashbacks and no, (laughs) uh, but because it's not my genre, like I don't feel like I can get like that spicy about it because I was never going to like this, you know, I just, it's, it's fine. It exists. I don't think it's worth seeing in the theater. That's, that's what I got pretty much. <laughs> Did you read the novel? Did you get a chance to read the novel? No, no. I actually, when we first put this on our like recording calendar, I was like, okay, you should read the novel before you watch the movie. And then uh, I just didn't because life and I really wasn't interested in the novel at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. did you, That's did fair. you read the book? I did. I read the Ooh. book oh. two weeks before Tell this me movie. More. This movie came out. So I think my spice is originating from the fact that I finished this novel the night before I went to go see it. Which, oh, okay. I mean, historically, book to film adaptations are like just impossible to do. No, there. I would love to hear anyone's claim on a movie version of a book where – the majority of the population is saying that the movie is better. So, I mean, it's it's challenging to do. We've seen and reviewed many examples of this, Cherry, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just hard to do in general. But I think this, like, and it's really interesting that you mentioned the emphasis on the romance because this movie seems to be leaning a lot very heavily into that aspect without giving us a – uh, strong connection to the main character for that romance to rest on. So it's almost like the main character of this movie is now the romantic plot line, the relationship with, with the with these two men, and how that all unfolds. Instead of what the book focuses on, and 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 by by nature the book is able to to give us a lot more of the the inner thoughts of our main character. But the the novel spends a lot of time. Uh, just us as the readers uh, understanding the experiences of Kaya. And I, I can go into the specifics of like the, the major things that I feel like the movie focused on that they missed that would, would have been essential to communicating the heart of the book. Uh, but I think that's the biggest issue that I have with this is that it leaned so heavily into melodrama and showing us the the events that occurred instead of what makes the book magical and compelling, which is the main character and her experiences in the marsh. There are things that happen to her that obviously are in the book, but the movie leans so heavily into that. And and it was an interesting decision that they made to emphasize so much of those pieces instead of these other ones. Um, the, the movie's almost like uninterested in uh, – the inner life of the main character. It's it's hard to to put that to screen in general, but it, the movie doesn't even attempt to to spend a lot of time doing that for us, which I I um, was upset about. I think if they had attempted it and it didn't it, it wasn't effective, that's a different story. Perhaps they did try and attempt it, and it just really wasn't effective, so I couldn't pick up on it. But um, I feel like we've 
gotten to see other film book to film adaptations that have at least attempted to capture that heart of the book a little bit more fully. That's that's so interesting. Yes, I am excited to hear all of the things about the book that the movie missed. Um, I did after this movie was over and I was just kind of thinking about how like neutral I felt about it. Um, I, I was thinking to myself that this book probably didn't need to become a movie. You know, I feel like you read yes. some books and it's like, oh my gosh, like, yes, I would love to see this as a movie. Like that would be so fun. But even watching the movie, I I think that this story is probably better told in book form. And it was exactly for what you just mentioned. Like even after watching it, I I figured that there was more of her internal dialogue and her internal processing because she is such a loner for so long that wasn't able to adequately translate to the screen and thus like the emotional core of the movie isn't as strong uh, as it is in the book. So I am I am fascinated to hear more about uh, your experience reading versus your experience watching. That's a really interesting point that you bring up uh I was thinking about Dune when you were sharing about like books that just you want to put to the screen to see visually what that could look like and you know the conversation that we had with Ty um and about how exciting it was to see these worlds in Dune that he imagined in a full real life form on the screen was just such a thrill for him and you're so right the there's so many chapters of this the of where the crawdads sing where we are just spending time with Kaya alone. So one of the big aspects that I think the movie missed is not spending enough time communicating to us her loneliness living alone for all of those years in the shack by herself. And so by the time that she meets Tate and later she meets Chase Andrews, the we don't have a strong sense of that. And so when she just falls in in love with them and gives herself over to them and builds this relationship, she seems more like a, a young girl who is misinformed like and kind of falling to the traps of men versus in the novels, she's way more like just craving any sort of human connection. And for most of her life, she hasn't had any of that. And so when these two men are all around, like it's filling this – this ache in her that she finally is able to um, to ease a little bit. And so it makes her, you know, falling into uh, these relationships with these two men a lot more understandable. I think we have a lot more empathy for her than in the movie where she just seems like the, the naive, young, innocent girl that is like falling into the traps of these men. Um, but so much of the chapters in Where the Crawdads Sing, like you mentioned, are just her inner thoughts surviving um, in the vastness of her loneliness in, in the marsh by herself and her thoughts around that. How do you put that to the screen? <laughs> I think they could have yeah. tried, but that's that's inherently difficult to do too. Yeah, and I, you can see how they maybe tried to do that. I. I think especially like between the, you know, Tate leaving and then Chase like coming into her life, like I feel like they tried to maybe do some of that, but you're right. Like that is not a a normal 
part of this. And I, I think for me, like, one of the things that I would have liked to, to have seen more of is Kaya surviving, you know, they, and they include like little threads about it. You know, we, we get to see that social services is after her and wants to put her in a home and she has to run away and like dodge them and all of that. Or, uh, land developers are like buying up land. So she has to get like the deed to the house and pay the back taxes and all of that. And I thought like those were interesting and I would have liked to have seen more of those kind of moments of her surviving because then we get to see more of her her tenacity and her drive and more about her character rather than just seeing her you know swept up in these romances I I think some of the time was probably misused uh, because most of what we see with her is in these relationships with these guys, we don't see a lot of her just figuring out how to, how to do life, which is not as fun. It's not as uh, maybe exciting for the target demographic for this movie, but I think showing those struggles would have made us maybe root for her in a, in a way that we don't, if we just see her kind of falling into these relationships. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, I completely agree. I think it makes her far less compelling as a character. Therefore, it's harder to get on board with the rest of what the movie is doing and the events that happen. Um, It also just doesn't do this character justice because like you mentioned, part of what makes her so compelling is her, her tenacity, her persistence, the cleverness she has, the, the, her, incredibly observant nature, which is a little bit captured in the movie, but we want to see that in action. Um, Mm -hmm. The way that she is fierce and stands up for herself, like a lot of that gets, because it's framed in the backdrop of these romantic relationships is her being a scorned woman instead of her being hurt so deeply because she has been alone for so long. And this was, the hope that she had with this relationship with, say, Tay for uh, Tate, for example. Um, so when he abandons her, the depths of that pain is not the same as for any other normal person that's grown up in society. There is a a, a, a greater depth to that, and the movie doesn't really show us the the state, the full stakes of that enough. I think, um, but so like her, you mentioned, this is maybe not weeping. as interesting. Her weeping on the beach in a dress oh, that didn't that didn't do it for you. You didn't feel oh, <laughs> you didn't feel like wrenched apart with with oh. that moment. Well, okay, here's my other problem with that scene is she puts on this like tool floofy dress, which is not in the book, by the way. Oh really? Which makes her seem <laughs> the, the, her characterization in general in the movie is way more childlike than she is in the book. In the book, she there's a lot of like social cues and whatnot and social skills she doesn't have, but she is fierce. She knows what she wants. Uh, she is vulnerable in a lot of ways because there is this, this ache that she has in her, but she is incredibly guarded um, as well. And there's a complexity of emotions and maturity that she has in the book that the movie kind of paints her to be this like childlike young girl who's just falling in love with the wrong people, you know? And that scene is the perfect example. She puts on the dress uh, with the with the lipstick 
with her little notebook, like like a, a young girl waiting for someone to come swoop her away. I I think one of the, the hard parts for me also with this is uh, the fact that you have somebody in your 20s who's supposed to be playing a teenager. Like, if... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Kaya is supposed to be like 14 when she gets with Tate. And like, so I'm watching this movie and trying to like keep track of time. And I'm like, I can't tell how old you're supposed to be as a character because you're clearly in your 20s as an actress. And so then all of those like really childish moments were just so odd to me because she clearly is older than what she's supposed to be portraying. And once you realize that this character is supposed to be 14 when she's with this dude who's about to go off to college, like that just brings up some other stuff going on. I was like, the book (laughs) reframes everything now, you know? So I think, and again, like, I don't know how else they, they would have done this. I, because actors often, are older than the characters that they're playing, but man, that, that was a little rough to watch. Mm-hmm. It, it takes away, I think from the believability and from the connection that we as viewers can have with her. Maybe it's just you and I though, Sarah, maybe, maybe the target <laughs> demographic is like eating this up, you know? Ah, man. I, I was thinking, a lot after the movie ended and the the things that it chose to emphasize the romantic storylines and it's really the the Disney princess formula I think that's why this potentially is um compelling as a storyline is here's a young girl who is shielded from the world is innocent in a lot of ways but has this I don't know, tenacity in this fire that's also interesting and compelling, but is very much disconnected from the world. And here's this man or men in this case, that two of them that come in that are from, they're, they're more advanced, quote unquote. They're from society and they're able to, they, there's something compelling about her that they are captivated by, that she's other in a lot of ways. And they want to, provide for her. They want to take care of her. You know, it, it's the Disney princess storyline of being swept away. Woe is me, young girl, being swept away by the more advanced, more established man that comes for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, wrote down, I wrote down that it was the the white knight saving the damsel in distress. Yeah. Uh, except in, in this case, at least with Tate, like he doesn't always use like violence or force to save her but in this case he used books and words and teaching her how to read you know saving her from being uneducated and then he makes her educated and so I just thought that that was a an interesting take on that trope but I've also been thinking about like why is this so appealing to so many people? I mean, this, it's an archetype for a reason and it's still being used for a reason. And so it's just been making me think about like, what, what are women seeing in these types of stories that they find so attractive? Um, And I mean, I don't, 
I don't really have an answer, but it's been just an interesting thing to, to kind of mull on, you know, what are the, the stories that we are drawn to? And then like, what does that say about us? Uh, and I don't know, but it's interesting to think about. It really is. And what do, what do women, well, we're assuming we're making an assumption here, which I think is we are probably pretty accurate, but that like yeah. a lot of women are connecting with the story, with the movie, with the novel. What is it that like female readers also or viewers uh, see in Kaya that they also see in themselves? You know, like there's this, this I think the strength and this um, persistence and fire that is is compelling as a woman in 2022 that probably is exciting to resonate with. But then there's this this innocence, this softness. There's this. Um, naivete that is also very much a part of Kaya's character because she has grown up away from society that is being filled and being seen as beautiful and compelling by the men that come around. And like, I don't know if there's an aspect there of um, someone coming along to see us in our like ragged parts of ourselves and like sees the beauty in that, that is also compelling. Um, But it is really fascinating how much, um, you know, this, this novel, the story and this, this movie is connecting with people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just interesting. I, I'm, I, I'm fascinated that, that the movie kind of departed from the book so much when it comes to that main character. Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that just a little bit, though. Like, I, I wonder how that process worked, how they decided what elements of her character to kind of remove and then what elements to to add in in order to make it maybe more more marketable or uh, more appealing to their target demographic. Because uh, it sounds like she is very different in the movie than she is in the book. Yeah, there's that that could be my reading too. I I just think that there's so much more to her in the book that is totally lost in the movie. But I actually think this is the case with both Tate and Chase as well. But the way I would describe it is like the distinctive qualities of them are um, turned up and dramatized far more. Um, whereas in, in the movie, whereas in the book, there's a little bit mu- more nuance in each of their characters. Like Chase hmm. is not as much of an asshole in the books as he is, in the book as he is in the movie because partially there's the time for us to see him be more patient in pursuing her. Tate is not as much of a knight in shining armor as he is in the movie. Like the the scene of him as a young boy going up to Kaya's father to try and like beat him up. He's like eight in that scene um, when he sees uh, Kaya's uh, father hit Kaya's mother. That doesn't happen in the novel. Like eight-year-old Tate didn't have this like – valiant spirit of good inside of him from that young age and the movie de-emphasizes the the inner turmoil that Tate has of why he chooses not to come back for Kaya in the book he it's because he 
like doesn't think that she's going to be able to fit into this into his world and he like kind of chooses himself and again and again we hear his internal struggles with feeling so guilty about that the fact that he never came back to confront her and so there's this like major weakness that we get to see in Tate like he's not all just this perfect knight in shining armor that comes and swoops her away and then same thing with Kai I think there's uh, more tenacity that she has that we already talked about Kaya's character but it was fascinating to see that um, Chase and Tate are obviously foils to each other but they're far more farther on the spectrum away from each other than they are in the novel and again I think this is consistent with the, what the movie's doing in general which is leaning into more of the the melodrama heightening some of the um, the character traits and and scenes at the cost of uh, kind of diluting a lot of the complexity and nuance that I think makes the story a little bit more interesting than just these archetypal characters painted with broad, broad bike, bright colors, you know? Wow, that is really interesting. Right? Yeah, huh. like, I wonder why that's I'm, the case too. Yep, that is, that is exactly what I'm sitting here wondering. I, yeah, I, I, and and again, that makes me think like, man, I really wish that this would have gone to streaming like even more now, you know, like if, if this could have been more nuanced, then I think like, ooh, yeah, like you can sit in a theater and like be immersed in all of these like complex characters working through all of these complex things like that would be so fun, as opposed to this like really tropey kind of like, I don't know uninteresting characters doing kind of uninteresting things like that is a made for streaming mm-hmm. movie you yes. know? yeah yeah wow that's that's interesting so then the book follows these characters differently than the movie does because so do we get to go with Tate when he goes away or does he just kind of fall off the face of the earth for a little while yeah we don't we don't go with Tate to to school or we don't go with Chase, but there's time spent. Again, I think it just comes down to time, but there's time Mm -hmm. spent in the book where we see again and again Tate wrestling with the fact that he didn't come back and that he didn't have the courage to come and face her. And we Mm -hmm. see him struggle with that and um, there's time for us to see that side of him. In the same way, like because – this is trying to condense a lot more uh, events that happen in the book into a much shorter period of time. We see Chase and Kaya's relationship uh, unfold for much longer and we see him like be a little bit more neutral unless I'm an asshole the entire time for a longer period of time. So by the time we get to the point where he assaults her, uh, there's there's more um, – complexity in how we feel about Chase as a character because we can see the fact that he is filling some part of Kaya's ache and and loneliness and there's hope for him like will he potentially come around and finally choose her and ultimately he doesn't but um, there's more time for us to sit with those emotions and feelings and the Chase in this movie is just you know like 100% on the asshole scale for most of the time that he's on screen so so there isn't a uh, challenging of that initial assumption that we get to have, which then 
also makes his assault on her just like less less um shocking because it's consistent with what he we saw with him like 10 minutes ago in a previous scene of him trying to force himself on her earlier the first time that they go out on a date right so like all of those nuances are basically like brushed over and i think it's a issue of time and and the limited resource that the movie has but I think that there's choices that they could have made to either cut out entire storylines. Like, for example, I think the whole Jody storyline with her brother yeah. is in the book, but it's kind of irrelevant and they don't really get to explore it much. So the, the, the movie that we got to watch is pretty faithful in the major events that happen, but it's anchored around showing us events versus capturing the essence. And even if we have to remove storylines, I think that's still better because we can fully explore what the heart of the book is in the most efficient way that we can. And if it's at the cost of not showing some things, like we don't need to see the conversation that she has with Jody again, because we don't really know Jody. He's, we meet him for 0.5 seconds when he's a child, like that whole storyline, the emotional stakes, the arc of that is totally lost on us. In the book, it's meaningful, but, you know, that's a decision that the movie could have made to buy back some time to spend elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, and I I even think, you know, some of the – we spend a lot of time with her and Tate, and I I get it. Like, yes, you need to spend a lot of time with the guy, but I did did wonder while watching if – Chase was supposed to be something more than just this jerk because he sucks from day one. He is awful the entire time in this movie. Yeah. Um, like, I just, the whole, from the minute that he comes on the screen, I'm just like, boop, 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 red flags, just abounding. <laughs> Please stay away from this guy. And so while I was watching, I was wondering, like, why was that your choice, you know, to make your murder victim the worst? And, uh, I, I just, I couldn't understand. So I wonder if it's because they they kind of like ran out of time because they wanted to make like Tate so great and they spent forever with him. And so then they just ran out of time for Chase. So they had to whittle down his character because uh, they couldn't fit complexity in whatever, 15 minutes or I don't know. It's probably longer than that that we spend with him. But that that kind of stinks from like a a structuring perspective that they couldn't give that character more time to do something a little bit more interesting than just being the worst. Uh, The absolute worst. (laughs) He just sucks, man. Like there's nothing good about that character. Um, I think especially because he is the murder victim. uh, I I don't know. I, I think that there was an opportunity there to make him, a more interesting character you know I I think they could have cut a bunch of stuff probably with Tate because it's it's young love it's the first love it's supposed to be this like really really pure thing and then he leaves like I feel like that's good enough and then made Chase more complex uh so that we learn more and more about the murder victim and then maybe we as the viewer then could have some 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 conflict you know we're we're wondering like oh did she do it is she innocent and then feeling some complex things also about this guy who was murdered I don't know I feel like that 
could have made things more interesting than uh, this Hallmark movie that we got. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree. The movie spends way too much time with Tate and I think on the wrong things as well. What's most interesting about the way that the relationship with Tate unfolds in the book is her letting someone in. Like she has been on her own for years of her life. Like not a single soul that she's had a deep, close connection with at all. The closest person is she occasionally will see Jumpin' and Mabel, right? And so her willing to let Tate in should have been where they spent the the majority of their time and then give us the really cute young love montage like you were talking about. Um, And we can do it in montage. Just – some beautiful scenes on the beach in the marsh, reading together, all that. Okay, we get the point. Um, but that opening up of her heart to someone, I think, is what's most vital about that relationship. And also the fact that he teaches her to read and all that kind of stuff. But the efficiency was not there. So therefore, we had far less time with uh, the second character. Yeah. But, but Jen we got to see them exchanging so many feathers. Like that was so important for us to watch these, Mm -hmm. these bits of birds that they're just exchanging willy nilly that has who knows how many diseases on. Nope. We don't care. We're just going to exchange feathers. Like what Mm -hmm. is, I just, I need to know, like, is this a thing? Because I remember when I was a kid and we'd like go camping in the mountains in Arizona and I would want to try and pick up a feather. My parents would freak out and be like, you do not touch feathers because da, 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 disease, sickness, whatever. I don't know if that's true, but that forever made me label feathers as gross. So this willy nilly exchanging of feathers... I was like, what is wrong with you people? Is this a marsh thing? Is this, I I don't understand. What are we doing? It's very much in the book. Okay, great. It's actually a very long section of the book. Really? Recording each other. And see, this is why the movie didn't do what it needs to do. Because you, you, you rightly so are like, I don't get it. Why are these feathers? feathers. I don't get it. But in the book, it's because the marsh is, this like, it's her world. It's this thing that is so near and dear to her. So the fact that he also appreciates that to the same level that she does and like knows the unique special feathers of a certain kind of bird and the fact that they can bond about that is what allows her to feel comfortable enough to begin to open herself up to him. It's the fact that he understands this thing that is so near and dear to her it's like her entire world that she's ever known and he gets it and that is significant so that's why the feathers are important but the movie does not give us any of that they're just leaving little little treats and knickknacks here and there for each other that's Mm, that's all we get in the movie so all that meaning is lost (laughs) it's nice (sighs) to know that there was supposed to be some meaning rather than just like a like a white elephant feather exchange you know (laughs) It's just so weird to me. It's like I don't get the feather thing. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's great. Glad glad you were able to clear that up for me because I was real worried about the feathers. Right. And 
I mean, it's kind of funky in the book. Like, okay, he just all of a sudden starts leaving them for her. Um, but that's fine. We can get past I, that mental hurdle. Yeah. yeah, that's great. As long as there's like some meaning and there's some yes. intentionality rather than, hmm, you know what? Just throwing it out there. Maybe, maybe leaving some feathers. Whoa. Let's just, let's just try it and see what happens. You yeah. know, as, as yeah. long as there is intentionality and meaning, well, it's fine. We can get over the weirdness. Yes. So <laughs> I just think that we should have cut out the entire courtroom drama. We cut out the entire chase sequence and just have this be like a Nicholas Sparks movie with Kai and Tate <laughs> falling in love with each other. Maybe Chase could be included. He's the equivalent of Lon, yeah, you know, absolutely. from the notebook. Yes. Yeah. Gotta have some threat. Sure do. Something to make the white knight look even more white and beautiful and pure. <laughs> and yeah, this is the Nicholas Sparks yeah, edition. So is the, is the courtroom drama part of the book as well? Yes, I'm curious your okay. thoughts about the courtroom drama before I share with you, though. I, okay, so the whole time I was watching and I had pretty much two thoughts in my head. Number one, it just made me want to go watch Matlock. It was a great show. Grew up watching Matlock. <laughs> Loved it. It's amazing. Number two, it made me want to go watch uh, To Kill a Mockingbird because those courtroom yeah. moments are incredible. And so if you're going to watch a courtroom show, we have plenty of good ones to choose from. Where the Crowd Ad Sing is not one of them. David Strathairn does his darndest to try and make it entertaining. He does a fine job because he's just a good actor. But uh, yeah, pretty uninteresting. The, the most interesting part of the entire mystery comes in the last 30 seconds of the film. And by then I had stopped caring. So yeah. <laughs> Didn't didn't really do a whole heck of a lot for me. Didn't work for you. Yeah, I had almost an identical thought, which is that we have been so spoiled by great films that do courtroom drama really well. And so if you're going to spend a lot of time in a courtroom drama scene, it's you've got like big shoes to fill. Like it's inevitably going to feel kind of bland compared to some of the greatness that we've seen in the past. And so – in the, the courtroom drama is also in the book as well. Um, it's also uninteresting, I would say. It's, it was the least interesting part of the novel to me because this is not the, – the, 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 the story is not about the facts of the case. It's not an interesting mystery with twists and turns and new evidence. It's just not. So it, it's, it's about this girl. And, you know, I think they – it's it's included in the book it's fine it does its thing maybe some people found that really interesting but especially brought to screen i just i think that I, my theory was that that all the courtroom scenes wouldn't have worked effectively for people that also didn't read the book as well and it sounds like that was the yeah. case yeah yeah cuz the the courtroom is just a vehicle to get us into her memories about these dudes. But like, I, I think that was also my issue is yes. that the memories weren't related to <laughs> the case at all. At and all. so it was, it was just this hodgepodge of flashbacks. And so in, in my mind, I was also wondering like, okay, could this have been better told chronologically rather than 
flashing back and forth. And I, I wonder if we had started with Kaya as a kid, watched her grow up, watched this relationship with Chase, then have a courtroom section, and then like her life. If maybe that would have worked better structurally, since the flashbacks had nothing to do with the case at all. Uh, I don't know if that would have worked better, but that is uh, one hypothesis I would like to throw out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had I had a similar thought. The book does got cut back and forth quite a bit between um, okay. the storylines, which I think is fine. It doesn't. I don't think it works in the movie movie medium because there isn't enough time in any of those snippets in either section to feel like you really were immersed in it. Whereas in the book, you have like whole chapters to like several chapters sometimes in one world to immerse yourself and then you're brought out of it. Whereas I, I don't know about you. Did you get total whiplash going back and forth and just like never getting to like sink into one story before you're like whipped out into present day or back into a memory? Um, I, I think I was – trying to figure out how all of these things related to each other um <laughs> and so I looking for clues <laughs> in I, the I was I, that's exactly what I was doing because I I didn't give a crap about her relationships with these dudes I really didn't care about her I just wanted to know who murdered the guy <laughs> like because mm-hmm. you can't you can't give me a murder and not expect me to try and solve it over the course of your movie like come on here. So that's all I was trying to do in the flashbacks was trying to figure out like, okay, how does this flashback relate to the case itself? uh, And what she's currently going through? Like, why did we flashback to here more than anything else? Um, I think with the, the Tate pieces, we stayed in his story more I think for like longer stretches of time so we can more settle into what she was doing with him. Uh, I think with the chase parts, we, we maybe flashed back more often, but I was also happy to not be spending any more time with him because he was the worst. Um, in case we haven't said that enough, he sucked. Uh, so yeah, I just, I, I also just have a problem with, if you have to rely solely on flashbacks, like why are you telling your story this way? Unless it enhances your storytelling. But I feel like this did not enhance the story at all. It just made things clunky and weird and had nothing to do with anything other than we wanted to make a romance movie and we wanted to use a murder as the vehicle to get us there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have been interesting had they maybe opened with the court, like a short snippet of the court courtroom scene or her in jail and then start the storyline chronologically, like you said, from when she was a child and like mm-hmm. pose the question. Like here is someone that was basically living on the outskirts of society, um, d- ignored and, and hated and honestly like uh, ostracized in a lot of ways by society and is this young girl who you're seeing grow up like capable at some point of murdering because of how much society has shunned her that was an interesting thing that the I think the the book structure raises to, uh, consistently again when it's doing the flashbacks is like it emphasized a lot more which I think the, the movie didn't do enough of as well which is how 
much the town saw her as other and as this like wild creature that was not to be uh, touched or or um, to be conversed with at all. And I think she she like the, there's movie there's moments where we see some of that, but it's I don't think that the movie communicates how much the entire town was against her. They show people that sucked that were like had stick up their asses and were snooty that were against her, you know, Chase Andrews' family and his friends and whatnot, but just how much this entire town and totally ostracized her, I don't think is communicated very clearly in the movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely not. And I, they say it a bunch of times, but you never get to really see that or like feel the weight. And I, to me, calling her Marsh Girl is not the same as ostracizing and making a pariah you know there's 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 a different Mm -hmm. level uh and and the film really wasn't able to achieve that you know she she's kind of rough around the edges you know not great with social cues she you know didn't like to wear shoes but shoes are also crappy so like who wants to wear them anyway so there was a lot of things that I was like she's not she's not as I don't know, ostracized and shunned as I think the movie wanted us to think. She's she's just a little peculiar and she lives kind of on the outskirts and you know, she she has a couple people in her corner and that's that's fine and dandy, mm-hmm. but I I think the book probably communicates a lot more about her her isolation and her being a loner and and like you said her being an other that the movie is just unable to translate which I think makes the courtroom scenes, I think, more interesting if, and the whole murder case more interesting had that been communicated more clearly. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Right? The stakes yeah. are higher. The, you know, um, David Stratham's whole closing argument about like, we cannot condemn this girl with this crime because of our own preconceived notions about him, about her. And, the rumors and our view of her should not play a role, which is like an interesting nuance uh, perspective, very relevant for right now, you know, in our current times and in the legal system for how much we allow our preconceived biases and notions and judgments of people cloud our ability to see their right to uh, the legal process clearly. Like that's all so interesting and fascinating. If, but it hinges on that that depth of her ostracization being communicated clearly first, which we're missing that missing that puzzle piece. And even just thinking through like the maybe like the fear that you might feel as somebody on trial, knowing that your quote unquote jury of my peers are people that hate me just for existing, you know, hate me because I'm different. I think that's also something really, really interesting to to think through, especially since the book is able to take you into like her internal thought process. So if this movie had somehow been able to figure that out, uh, that would have been something really interesting to explore her processing through just the fear of, you know, this, this probably isn't going to be a just outcome for me um 
and and I feel like the film maybe attempts to do that, but I think more than anything, it just appears as though she's resigned herself to the fact that, like, I I don't care if I live or die is is kind of the vibes that I got from her, uh, which given what you said earlier about her being like fierce and a fighter and tenacious and all of this stuff doesn't really seem to maybe match up with, with the character that is in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think goes back to a point you made earlier, which is that some books are, are potentially like a little bit easier to put to the screen versus others. Like this book being so, so uh focused on the internal life and the thoughts and um the internal emotions that a singular character has in isolation is kind of hard to put to the screen in a in a in a way that um can easily and efficiently communicate the same depth of that emotion um so like i think your your idea around like some some written forms being more easily adaptable versus others being far more challenging or just um, require a lot more translation of internal feelings and thoughts that are written and how does that translate into observable action in the film medium um, is a bigger leap that needs to be made or there's more design that needs to happen in order to make that feel effective. I think that is so true because this book is – really spends a lot of time with this one character alone. And it's it's interesting because this movie relies pretty heavily on obviously flashbacks, but also voiceover. And so she's constantly narrating what's happening. <laughs> and it still wasn't effective though in in helping us get into her inner world. So that it's fascinating to me that even the narration wasn't enough in in fully capturing who this character is uh, and and helping us get to know her. I think that's the other thing. Like, I I didn't feel like I knew her very well. Um, mm, and, interesting. Like, I I knew I knew bits about her, but I I felt like I didn't know her. And so again, that I think that's probably what sparked my like. Oh, this probably shouldn't have been a movie thought uh because I would imagine after reading the book like you know this character really really well but as we've said for the past 50 minutes that just did not translate to the screen Mm -hmm. and you brought this up earlier which I had a similar thought while watching this which is I think had they had better actors this may also uh have been more effective and would not have fallen as flat as well yeah what are your thoughts it it wasn't great it again like it was fine I again this probably should have gone to streaming um it was it was fine it it wasn't great meh yeah (laughs) which is not what you want out of a movie like this so I mean probably better actors would have made it better, but I still think because the story wasn't great uh, and they focused on the wrong things, even good actors wouldn't have been able to fix this, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think it all ultimately is like a, it's a screenwriting problem in the adaptation part, like what we what we talked about earlier on the priorities of what they focused on. And then also we never have these like small moments or little actions to really understand that can reflect the inner state of the character. There were a few mm-hmm. moments that we got that. Like it's so much either dialogue. Of th- Again, the way that I think about this movie is that it was faithful to the events that occurred. We got to see those events. But the 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 time that I think was missing that we could we we should have spent with these characters is them doing things that reveal things about their inner states or their character or whatnot through action, however small that they are, but that would have brought us into their inner state and captured again the essence of what the book is doing. Like we should have had scenes with Kaya alone, needing to forage for food, tr- trying and struggling to like make a meal for herself, like pouring out the last like small handful of grits left, like s- hungry for several days, talking to the gull, the seagulls on the beach by herself. Like we probably needed a section of just that. And those small things that she does in all of those moments – can reveal her loneliness and her isolation without words, but we still at least get the essence of it through something that is observable for us as a viewer because this is a movie. But we, I think that those stuff like that was missing from this movie. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and so this once again brings me back to what is the target demographic for this movie, which based on who was in my theater, <laughs> I would true. think 50-ish year old white women. And so I can't help but wonder if the thought was like, oh, this is our target demographic. We want this to not be too deep emotionally. You know, like I wonder if if part mm-hmm. of the the calculus for making these characters less interesting and less complex, making the storyline more dramatic and more, uh, or and like stripping the nuance from it is because they wanted people to maybe have more of a, a quote unquote, like feel good. I, I, is this a feel good? Yeah, movie? it, it is. The movie. ending okay. is so, they, it's they, the notebook they, ending. They pull together. Yeah. They're faithful to each other. It's this beautiful so they, love story. Maybe, maybe they stripped some Marvel. of that out to create a more feel-good, popcorny movie instead of actually having to grapple with some of these more difficult things, which I, you and I would argue are the more interesting things that we would rather watch. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's That's maybe it's point. capitalism. Back all again, capitalism did it. Yeah, it's pro- perhaps all intentional. Yeah. Like this is a product being designed for a target market. And so therefore, what colors do we need to use? What plot points do we need to focus on? I mean, we haven't talked about yet, like the marketing of this film being produced by Reese Witherspoon, a mm-hmm. dedicated song from Taylor Swift. Like it's all in line with what, what you were you were talking about with its target demographic, you know? That That's my current hypothesis. So – so our conclusion is that this was all a well-designed product. Just we are not we are not the we are not the buyers. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, again, like leads me back to kind of like where I started. Like I don't have super strong opinions about this movie because I know that this movie is not for me. So it's, it's kind of hard for me to like get all upset about it because I, it's, it's not a me movie and that's okay. I'm sure a lot of people resonated with it. I'm just not one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That see, this conclusion is far more hopeful for me. To <laughs> that it's all part of the capitalist machine, all well designed and intentional. Like we intentionally made this this way, um, for it to resonate with our target demographic. Yeah, I I'm down for that. Okay. Okay, great. I buy it. I buy it. <laughs> Excellent. It's probably, I mean, it's a good working hypothesis. Sweet. All right. Another mystery solved. What a productive yeah. time we've spent here today. Just solving mysteries left and right. Wow. More interesting yeah. mysteries than what was in this movie too. Ooh, and we did it in quicker time. <laughs> Proud of us. Indeed. <laughs> Okay, any other thoughts about where the crowd adds thing? My okay, so my my last question about this is how does the Mabel and Jump In in the movie compare to the Mabel and Jump In in the book? Yeah. It's a good question. <laughs> um honestly, they're also very much side characters in the book as well. So okay. I think their place in relationship to the main storyline is like pretty accurate. But I, I I had this thought while reading the book as well, which is that there's a palpable sense that this novel is written by a white woman and and it's, it's writing uh, – people of color characters and capturing mm-hmm. some of the dynamics of a time from the past with um, not a high degree of nuance. So, you know, um, they're, they're, they are very much like the archetypal characters that of, of like black supporting characters that we've seen, I think, in a lot of uh, stories created by non-black writers. So, you know... It is what it is. They weren't yeah. very, very interesting or or um, exciting. They very much are there to serve the primary storyline and be these like um, angelic uh, parental figures to her in uh, the book as well. And there isn't like too much more than that. There is a small a bit of nuance that I think the book covers, which is around like because she is seen as other as the marsh girl that there's a way that she knows how she can and cannot survive and how she isn't isn't perceived in in this society that jumpin and mabel are able to connect with as well and that there's a there's a bond that they form because of that they know that the normal courses of action that a um, average white person in this culture and during that time could take is just not accessible to them because of biases and perceptions. So I thought that was interesting. It's not really fully fleshed out in the book as well. It's like just mentioned very casually in a small detail, but that dynamic was interesting. And I think the 
the movie tries to capture a little bit of that in one of the conversations that they have. But that's the extent of the um, substance there. <laughs> that's what I, I thought while I was watching this. I was like, this is this is an issue in the movie, but it's an issue in the movie because it's an issue in the book. Uh, and I just yes. I just wanted to confirm, confirm. that that yep. was the case. Um, yeah. I also like while watching, I was like, you know what? I would rather just be watching a movie about Mabel and jump in, honestly, because yeah. like how how fascinating are these two characters potentially? You know, these are two mm-hmm. black people in the South who are owning and operating this business that this whole community uh, relies on, and yeah. they have to navigate all that in that is that it entailed to be black in the South in the fifties and sixties. Like I just, that would have been a fascinating story to watch. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so like anytime we would go into those scenes, I was like, Oh yes, Mabel and jump in. You guys are amazing. I want to spend more time with you. Um, But it's just, it's a shame that this story is, it is just not, not great. Not interested. Not yeah. interested in exploring that. You know what oh. is interesting, though? What? Uh, just another additional detail for our previous working hypothesis about this being a well, well-designed well product for a target demographic is the whole monologue that Mabel has in one of the scenes around them being Christians and this is how – like. I think I think jump into something like um like we don't have we don't have time to think about that and she was like you don't have time like as Christians blah 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 she goes on this like small little monologue right that's not in the book like the empathy really? the, the faith aspect of why they are so um kind and loving and giving with Kaya is not super emphasized in the book it's way more highlighted in uh, the movie, it's mentioned that wow. um, they give her, you know, like the um, extra goods from church to give to her, but she doesn't have that whole set of lines that she says. So, wow, now there's all these little details where I'm like, hmm, what was the thought process there? Like, why add that specific moment, which was very pronounced and highlighted in the movie? Um, what, what was the thought process behind adding that in there in such a p- kind of prominent way, you know? Wow. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to change uh, – I'm going to tweak my hypothesis just a little bit that this would be uh, like Judeo-Christian white women in their – 50 so maybe like 40 to 60 you know like 60, yep. yeah like middle-aged yeah that uh because mm-hmm. i think that's the that little judeo-christian part yeah is uh is is what that was for yeah it was meant to resonate with someone in some way to have that specific scene added yeah, that is fascinating that that was added in there huh. All right. okay well Additional just like details that are interesting is that, you know, this is produced by Reese Witherspoon. She very much has a clothing brand and following that is very Southern. You know, like it's it just there's so mm-hmm. this the story yeah. is based in the South. 
I think North Carolina, right? Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. yeah, all, all tangential in, details. We don't yeah. we don't make any claims here, but you know, important yeah. details. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the Bible Belt, so you know you have the whole cultural Christianity thing. So yes, yeah, yes, that uh, it all it all tracks. I feel like it all tracks. I feel like we're onto something here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right, shall we wrap up? Sure. Okay, this was our review and discussion of Where the Crawdads Sing. You can find it available still out in theaters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about where the crawdads sing. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or email us at Strategic Whimsy Experiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss a very different kind of film, Jordan Peele's newest movie, Nope. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you next week.